says we're recording, so let's hit the ground running. Hi, everyone. This is Jaime Alejandro, and I'm joined by my wife. Her name is Maddie. She doesn't want to say her own name, so I'm going to keep saying it for her. <laughs> and this is Our Kids Asleep. It's a quick podcast about uh, fun stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we just got attacked by the cats. They came in. They want to be part of the show. And just when we thought that the environment was going to be in a perfect situation for us to be podcasting, it just did not work out because the they just take over. The cats just yeah. It's like the second a, a door is closed, it's like we've offended their ancestors. That's what they do. So they have to be up in our business. Yeah. Let Let's get into this, shall we? Let's begin with one of two documentaries that we saw this week. We're going to be feeling pretty learned. We're going to be doing a lot of. Uh, exploration of the human condition and the hubris. And we're also going to be talking about The White Lotus, an awesome show on HBO. But let's begin with the first documentary, which is called Lula Rich. Tell me your thoughts on this. What's that one about? So um, Lula Rich is a documentary about um, both these documentaries can be found on Amazon uh, Prime. Uh, Lula Rich is about the founders of the clothing company Lula Row. It's mostly um, leggings, but also like dresses and stuff. And it's about the two people who run that company and just sort of like the meteoric rise or meteoric expansion of of that company. You know, it talks a lot about multi-level marketing companies um which is a fancy name for pyramid schemes <laughs> yeah it was a, an episodic documentary so <laughs> it seems like each episode escalated um to the inevitable end um but it was it was interesting to see cuz i thought the documentarians did a good job of presenting both sides because mm-hmm. this was a rare occasion where the quote unquote offenders were actually the company itself. Yeah, they were actually part of of the documentary itself. They actually interviewed um what were their names? <laughs> Mark they and oh man. Deanne, I think or Mark and Deanne, yeah. Um uh, yeah. I'll look it up while you while you keep so going. So they're the CE, you know, they're the 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 founders of the company. And so they actually interviewed them. So you kind of got how they started the company and, you know, and then eventually how it sort of expanded out to become this like sort of behemoth that it is today. And their names are Mark and Deanne Stidham. Stidham. Okay. Yeah, it was a very strange series. And I think... What is that? It's a weird thing because not only is it a pyramid scheme, um... It also was a little culty, which I think is an interesting combination. And maybe that's more common amongst those types of companies because you kind of have to instill this like belief system into the people who are below you. Um, And I think LuLaRoe was like really expert in doing that. Yeah. And I think if you look at all hierarchies, I mean, there has to be that belief. The ones at the top are really, really good at building the identity of the company and propagating the belief of something that is more important than it actually is. And in the case of LuLaRoe, 
watching those guys on full, like, say at the beginning with Deanne, I mean, she, as the main leader of this thing, uh, the person who was able to really showcase the spirit of LuLaRoe, that person was like a full saleswoman. Like that woman could probably sell you anything. You yeah. could tell just from the way that she talked, the way that she approached things. Yeah. And Mark seemed to be the more like business-based, business-oriented kind of person. So together, they really created something that was a reflection of their values too. And I did think it was a good documentary because it showed both of the sides of, of the story. I mean, having the CEOs and the main people of that company tell their side of it is usually something that never happens. But I also feel that these folks don't feel that they've done anything wrong. Yeah, that's so. that was kind of a theme Yeah, throughout the documentary was personal responsibility versus... You guys, um, you guys sold me corporate accountability. It's kind of uh-huh. what it seemed like. It's like it, you know, was it what came first, the chicken or the egg? You know, what came first, your sense of personal responsibility of getting into a situation you shouldn't have, or you know, a corporation or a company taking advantage of the situation that people found themselves in. Yeah, and to kind of point paint the other side a little bit better too. <laughs> They were marketing to stay-at-home moms and people who were not as well off as, you know, the the traditional, like, middle-class person, wouldn't you say? Like, these seem like sometimes middle-to-lower-class folks. Yeah, I mean, the whole idea is that, and, you know, I I got a little taste of this because I was on Facebook in that time period. You know, it was like 2013 to about now. Mm-hmm. Or a couple of years ago, I guess. Um, and LuLaRoe, if you were a female between the ages of like 16 and 40 on Facebook in the last like eight years, you saw LuLaRoe groups. You were invited to them. You were added to them. You looked at the leggings. I guarantee it, you did. Whether mm-hmm. you liked them or not or bought them or not. I have a few pairs, but I wasn't like obsessed I was just like, oh, these are kind of fun and cute and whatever. Yeah. But I did um, find it curious that, that, you know, and I found it curious that it was just like regular people selling this stuff, you know, and I eventually I kind of got wise and I was like, oh, this is like, I compared it to Herbalife, you know, or whatever. Similar. Um, it's similar. And so I was like, oh, it's one of those things. And, um, you know, clearly it's aimed at women who want to, you know, bring in money but stay home with their kids. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly the whole point. I mean, the whole, like, philosophy of the company is, like, family first and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I think that that is, it's very appealing in a culture that does not value the work that women do. Mm. So, you know, stay-at-home moms who are home with small children all day and maybe feel like they're not contributing or at least not financially, um, you know, this is a chance for them to feel empowered. Mm-hmm. That was a word that they threw around a lot. Sure. Um you know, and I think that that is, on the surface, it seems kind of noble. 
But the more I watched that documentary, like the more exploitative it felt. You know, I mean, it's it's just exploiting the most desperate, you know. Well, you know what it was? It's It seemed to me like this comes from the Mormon religion, which is the religion of the owners, and they have a certain set of values that really advocate for uh, moms who stay at home but are also resilient and and do more than you know more than they have to in in a way and I think that what was originally founded by their values by their religious approach was something that that caught on and became the brand you know what I'm saying like eventually that became their whole model but it is founded in that in that belief system of of like women can do more and can do everything and i think that these people are essentially working themselves into the ground yeah i mean i think it's a nice idea but the reality of it the execution of it was not was not that yeah and you know I don't know. It was it was like this very sort of two-faced idea, I think, you know. And I mm-hmm. I think it's it was very appealing to a lot of women and then, you know, they got they got really deep and realized like, "Oh my god, like this is not." Yeah. And I think maybe <laughs> I'm giving them too much credit the credit the the business owners because they put on a good face for the documentary, but I I almost think that because of their faith, because of their values, they do espouse a lot of that personal responsibility kind of uh what do you call it like ethos and they expect everyone to hold themselves to the same standard. But I also think that it is disingenuous because the product itself in the system that these w- women were working in under LuLaRoe and those products made it impossible for them to make the amount of money that the ones at the top did. Right. Even if they worked their tail off, there was just no way that they were going to be able to make what, right. you know, what they were expected to sell mm-hmm. or what they believed they would one day make. So they started making all kinds of sacrifices that were eventually not going to make a difference in their in their business. Yeah, and I also think the whole personal responsibility thing is it's a crock of shit really because <laughs> you know they were like we never asked you to get into debt to join LuLaRoe. It's like, well, you did. But yeah, and, and there's they- literally how to's there was documentation provided by them yeah like how to finance your buy-in you know because it was five to ten thousand dollars to purchase the clothes you would be selling like the startup Mm -hmm. and i mean who has five to ten thousand dollars laying around especially when you're you know lower yeah a single mother lower middle class yeah um people don't have that kind of money and encouraged to take on debt to get in you were also encouraged to take on debt in order to continue to sell yeah and that was the other thing you had to sustain and maintain not only the image of a successful LuLaRoe business person but you also had to buy the product constantly get it out there and you also had 
the duties of uh what do you call it like doing outreach for the company yeah, essentially recruiting. and recruiting yeah yeah well and then they broke down like the actual math that you didn't make hardly you made hardly any money actually selling the clothing but you made money by you know bringing people on and getting those bonus checks which added up very quickly if you were good at what you did yeah and if you watch the documentary you get a real sense of how the system was just set up to ruin these people, mm -hmm. <laughs> especially the ones at the bottom. And it's kind of demoralizing because you have these stories of, of women who thought this could be a way out, you know, that they really believe that they could make a new life for themselves, like their family. And ultimately some folks just end up in the worst possible situation. There's a like cost that you pay with your relationships financially um yeah it, it just seemed like a very toxic downfall yeah and i think um like mathematically the the scientists that they interviewed said like 80 percent of the people who are in this company are not making anything 80 <laughs> percent. they're just getting by yeah they're just like that, that lowest level of the pyramid you know mm -hmm. and um I also think that there was sort of like that tipping point of when um, when they started bringing the lawsuits against the company because they were being sent, you know, leggings that were moldy and wet and <laughs> and then like the yeah. quality of the product started going down the drain because they were, um, you know, they were trying to save money and they had like, you know, they had a falling out with their manufacturer, so mm -hmm. they had to get a new manufacturer. So like the leggings were tearing and like, so there's all these quality issues. Yeah, And, which... and the, you know, the company had that 100% buyback guarantee that they said was never going to go away. And then all of a sudden it went away and all these women were stuck with thousands of dollars of merchandise they couldn't sell. <laughs> and you know it's just and so and then you know so people started to get wise they started to try to get out and you know a lot of those women in that documentary are financially ruined yeah for life i mean their relationships are, are ruined their finances are ruined they had to sell their homes they had to sell their cars they had to yeah. you know some of them declared bankruptcy like it's yeah. really bad and that really also brings me to the other point of this whole thing which was the accelerated and out of control growth of the company mm -hmm. where you had this group of people essentially a family running this business of right. LuLaRoe and the staff was just kind of up on on these makeshift you know kind of structures trying to prop the company up while it was just escalating and they did say that it it eventually became a billion dollar company in like five years in five years which is absurd yeah. like that never happens no and the way that they hit that perfect storm of the um, leggings trend of instagram facebook live streaming mm -hmm. it, it was just a really interesting social experiment in a way of what was working at that time in in 2013 to 2015 that sort of time period but the biggest mistake I still think was this company, or at least the the husband and wife, leaving it to their family to run this yeah this company as it was just sp spiraling out of control. Yeah, and that it just doesn't really, make sense. To that me. was a really interesting thing because they did that kind of early on. They they had like a family meeting 
And they were like, okay, this is what our company needs. And we want to extend this invitation to our family first. Because, you know, they're a Mormon family, so there's a lot of them. Mm. Um, And then, like, they, you know, they had children from previous marriage. So there's a lot of people in this family. And so they were essentially just, like, doling out jobs to people in their family. And the whole time they were talking about that, I was like, yeah, but are these people actually qualified <laughs> to do the positions they're being? Because it's one thing to, like, have your whatever your photographer daughter take, take the pictures, pictures of, of leggings, leggings but it's yeah. another thing to have your dumb shit son running the accounting department <laughs> like what i don't understand how, why well, they, they thought like, that was a good idea one of the kids was the head of training and development or something yeah and and you're like this person clearly has never done anything like this yeah they were like using google sheets to keep track of their like their purchases their, their mark yeah like what they were selling it's that crazy. gave me a panic attack yeah it's crazy like imagine an entire company running off of a google document like all using the same thing and like oh my god that yeah Those yeah people that, are that insane. Was... and it's just like yeah that was crazy <laughs> it gave me anxiety like just seeing and, and just the the level of growth that that company experienced and also just the greed you know, like I work for a small company too, but my company is smart enough to know not to grow beyond what, it can what handle. we can handle. Yeah. We, you know, and this company was probably about the same size as my company, but when they, but they just, started? yeah, but they just exploded and, and just like the sheer level of greed that propels that forward because mm -hmm. they very easily could have said whoa like let's slow down we need a to little slow bit. this down we need to grow gradually we can't this can't be sustained but they didn't mm -hmm. they just kept going they kept just you know buying their fucking mercedes and i mean it, you know it all <laughs> comes down to that it comes down to if these people had been smart and not just driven by greed this company probably would have been sustainable, mm. you know, and they probably wouldn't have wrecked so many people's lives, you know? Yeah. And I'm thinking a th whole theme of this episode is probably going to be about greed because there is a through line of yeah. just complete That's excess. That's true. I didn't think uh, about I that. didn't, yeah, I didn't connect the dots until you mentioned yeah. it, but it's, it's going to be a lot of this talk. Well, it's a good documentary and I thought it was, it was not, I didn't feel it was one-sided. Which a right. lot of documentaries that are kind of exposés can can feel one-sided. So, yeah. um, you know. And I do feel like, and this is the great thing about it, that by seeing both of these perspectives, you actually understand that when people are in a desperate situation, especially lower to middle class working day-to-day -day families, they will believe in anything if they feel that it might get them out of where they're at. Mm -hmm. That is the goddamn reality of this whole thing. Yeah. The people in LuLaRoe situations, I mean, those are couples that were just like in our situation, yeah. in many of the couples that, that we know who are, you know, just kind of regular working people who would like to have a little extra money coming in to pay the bills, to help in whatever capacity. But you almost can imagine these people knowing when they sign on the dotted line, when they <laughs> the line that is dotted. on the line that is dotted, when they 
<laughs> when they get their $5,000 product and they know they have that money to pay back, they have this feeling like, this is going to change my life. Yeah. But then there's that other feeling like, I'm so fucked. What have I done? Yeah. This is like the worst thing I've ever done. Yeah. But you want to believe. You desperately want to believe. And so you refuse to see the bad things about what you signed up for. Well, they don't let you see the bad things. All you see are the success stories. You don't think that, I don't know. I, I, I just still think that like whenever you're taking that leap, you there's a, a degree of realism yeah, of course. that has to set in at some point that, that you're almost negating. But it's not like these people were dumb, you know, and they yeah, didn't see anything no, coming. But you know what? I think that that is... That is capitalism, though. Capitalism it's, makes you believe it's possibility that you are the exception. Mm. You are the exceptional one. Damn. Like, <laughs> yeah, those people are failed, but I'm the exceptional one. I'm the one that's going to turn this five thousand dollars into ten thousand dollars into a hundred thousand dollars. That's yep. that's what keeps people doing it, you know. And I also think it's just like that level of. Um, you know, it's that like dangling carrot of hope, mm. you know, that the sort of, and this, I'm, I don't mean to sound conspiratorial, but it's like that the elite ruling class dangles to the lower middle class to keep them where they are. Say here, you can keep going on the treadmill just a little bit longer. Yeah. You're going to make me fucking rich, but I'm going to make you think that I'm going to make you rich. But it's yeah. really going to be the other way around. It's the gospel of the haves and soon to haves. Yeah, yeah, and it's and the got the we talked about that a little bit too. Afterwards, was that that prosperity gospel? Yeah, and how they yes, they're Mormon, but it's all kind of wrapped up in the same idea, you know, that God loves you, and God wants you to be rich. Mm. And he wants you to do whatever it takes. So you take out that $5,000 loan. You so borrow it that more five. justified. Yeah. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what it is. You know, and you do that for your family. Mm -hmm. You know, so Taking you can stay leap. home with your kids. Yeah. This is empowering you. And that was a, that was a crazy thing. And now we're getting into, into really interesting territory where. At some point in the documentary, once they saw that these particularly, primarily women who were running these businesses were getting it up and running, there was almost a mandate from the company that said, you need to let your husband take over the business so that you can go back to being a mother. Mm -hmm. Like that, that was just an interesting idea where they actually said this really disgusting phrase which was retire your husband yeah like because <laughs> like, the whole goal was though that your husband no longer had to work outside the home that you both that's so fucked up that you i just remember that that you're both all in so mm -hmm. you are both as a couple dependent on that company because mm. your husband's no longer working outside the home doing whatever it is he was doing so now you're both all in yeah, that's pretty nefarious stuff right there. You know, and then you, all the sexist stuff aside, I mean, <laughs> that's, that's pretty fucked up, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, man, I, I don't know. It's, they're still, um, 
They're still going. They're still lit. Yeah, but they're still litigating. Oh, I bet you know, there were, were a crap ton of lawsuits. Against I think them. they settled that big one for like five million dollars or nearly five. The million Washington dollars. one. Yeah, against there the was state one of Washington. Washington state. Yeah. Um. Anyway, yeah, it was interesting and um, an interesting look at capitalism and what what we want to shoot for. Yeah, man, it's know? the American dream. Flying too close to the sun, like a certain Icarus. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, I highly recommend that documentary. I think it was wonderful, and I think we okay. should tink to it. Let's go for it. Oh, you're we, too far away. Oh, come on. Wait, wait. Bam. Oh, Oscar. Perfect tinking. We are joined by our cat, Oscar, who is the... Uh, I didn't plug in the third mic, but maybe I will <laughs> next time, so we can get those uh, cute purrs and the mm-hmm. meows. <laughs> He's very tired. He just ate... Yeah. And he was looking for tuna all day. Mm-hmm. You could smell it. But let's talk about <laughs> the HBO series, White Lotus, which kind of went under the radar for us. It was a big deal all summer. People were raving about this. And eventually, Maddie and I were like, let's sit down and watch this thing. And we watched it in two sittings. Two or three. Two or three sittings. The last one was pretty intense because we watched <laughs> like four, four episodes. episodes in one night. An hour-long episode. We went to bed at 2.30 o'clock in the morning. I mean, was bad. for Maddie, that's like staying up for three days. Yeah, I so might she, as well just stay up all night. Yeah, that's it, how I felt the next day. And I was, I think it was worth it. It was. It was. I, I really do. It was only, it's only six episodes, but each episode's like an hour long. So it's, you know, like watching a movie each time you start an episode. Yeah. Yeah. First reactions. Um, or let's begin with what it's about. Just okay, a basic so premise. Very, very basic. The, the premise is, um, it's the White Lotus is a resort in Hawaii. And it follows um, the characters who come to the resort for a vacation. There's a family that comes and then there's a honeymooning couple and then there's a woman who comes by herself to spread her mother's ashes in the ocean and hilarity and then like obviously like yeah like the employees of the actual resort are also a lot of the characters what a great display of (laughs) like just class divide i thought it was really well done well handled of course, I empathize with the workers in that situation, the people who are running the place. And I could not stand these fucking rich people the moment they got in there. The first episode, like halfway through the episode, the first one, I was like, oh, these people are horrible. Yeah. They are the worst. <laughs> yeah. And I think, um, yeah, I think it also, it like, it highlights sort of the service industry. Oh, Lord. You know, just the fucking shit those poor people deal with on a day-to-day basis. (laughs) You know, and service and, like, hospitality. And um, especially, like, obviously, like, the people, like, the housekeepers and, you know, the sort of people that are lower on the totem pole deal with a lot of shit. But I feel like the people at the top, like, the management. Working management. Yeah, working Working management management who don't have a lot of power but they have they're the last line of the fence before things have to take a turn financially yeah and so i just 
I felt <laughs> I felt those strained smiles in like you know the just the cursing behind the scenes and like yeah. I was like God like I've done all of that like I, you just you know <laughs> yeah. the feeling you know that those people have if, every if day ever been in the service industry and I you know like I've been in restaurants I've been in kitchens I've been you know all over the place in retail. Mm-hmm. That shit is painful after a while, but yeah. it's a great skill. But I just think throwing like, it out there at that level, though, because what there is a very upscale resort, yeah. like it's yeah. very swanky, and so the level of people you're dealing with, it's like a whole other plane yeah. of entitlement. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that's that's tough, and so you know, it deals like we said with, um, you know. It felt like class divide. Class, yeah, class warfare, even in some in some ways. Yeah. Um, so, like, some of the the main driving forces of this are uh, the guy from the office. I can't remember what his name Jake was. Jake Lacey. Jake Lacey, who plays a wonderful asshole. He was, he's very good. He yeah. was very nice in the office, but he yeah. he can give us another side of, yeah. of performance, and that was really well done. But he's insufferable as mm-hmm. this this. Ivy League man-child character who has had everything handed to him, and the moment something goes wrong during his honeymoon, it just escalates, and he can't let things go. And and uh, the girl from uh, San Andreas mm-hmm. plays his his Alexandra wife, Alexandra Alexandra Daddario. Daddario, yeah. And you know she seems like the more working class person. Yeah, I mean she's <laughs> me. essentially like poor. Like she's, you know, yeah. Yeah. He pretty much says as much. And and let me backtrack a little bit. The cast is outstanding in this. Mm-hmm. I'm very happy to see two people in here. Three people. Okay, I'm just going to give three quick shout outs. Molly Shannon. It's great to see her doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Steve Zahn, who is the fucking best. <laughs> yeah, he's- And the guy who plays Armand. Yeah. Or is that his name? Yeah, Armand. <laughs> what a great fucking actor that mm-hmm. guy is. He was so good. Yeah, yeah. Those they were all. And Jennifer Coolidge plays mm. um, the the single yeah. lady that comes to spread her mother's oh my ashes. Word. Yeah, I, I the cast is really just spot on. And another character I think we need to shout out is the music. Oh my god! Like the music in oh the show. Oh my word! Like even just like the the opening credit music is mm-hmm. so disconcerting. Mm-hmm. And but also like it fits so perfectly with yeah. like the theme of it and like the feel of it. Yeah, I I have not heard music that imposing in a long time. Yeah, it's it's so rich, and there is a sense of of like the world that they're in. You know, in in you know, not to say that it appropriates, you know. Uh, musical culture of Hawaii, but there is that kind of feel mm-hmm. for it. But it's still its own thing. It's still this driving dark thing that's just always building. And throughout most of the scenes, it it recedes for a little bit. It goes away. But but when you're least expecting it, it's just in your face and really elevating things. And mm-hmm. it's pretty sick. It's yeah. pretty, pretty awesome. Well, and you told me like the composer is like. 
he's like a really renowned composer in Europe. Yeah, I don't know if he has done very much, but I'll look it up because this is this is big. I was reading on Reddit about him and people were talking about how in his previous work that he did, like he played the percussion with like a human bone. Right. Like he just thinks in terms of context approach and and there's really weird methods that uh I mean, he seems like a very interesting dude, but for the right reasons. Like he's throwing everything into the work which is mm -hmm. pretty cool but i'm gonna look up the name of the yeah person. like watching watching this show is really um it's very tense but you can't really always put your finger on why and i think a lot of it is like uh domestic tension you know like mm -hmm. Um, and well, there's, and there's these scenes where, you know, obviously, so there's like the family tension of, you know, the, between the family members and the, the vacationing family. Mm -hmm. And then there's the marital tension between the honeymooning couple. Mm -hmm. And then there's this, the single woman who's just like, she's completely out of her mind and just has these moments where you're like, you're not sure where she's going to go next or like what she's going to do. Very erratic. Very erratic. Yeah. And um, the way she treats that poor uh, spa, spa manager woman. is just. It's pretty heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. And like the whole time you just want to like yell at her, like don't <laughs> trust this person. Like she's, you know, and you can tell that like she knows better. And she knows she knows better. And that's. But she still can't help herself but like feeling optimistic. Babe, but that's what I'm talking about with the LuLaRoe thing. It's that exact feeling know, where yeah. the slightest opportunity shows up for somebody in that situation. You're like, I got to get out of here. I'm going to pounce on this thing. Yeah. And, you know, heaven or hell be damned. I'm just going to see it through to the end. And yeah. then there's always something. Yeah. That that reminds you at the end of it, you're like, "Fuck, mm -hmm. where did I do this? Yeah, why did I sign up for this? Yeah, it's very yeah. very heartbreaking." Um, but I also think there's got to be, we we really have to signal the way that the stories were woven together. Well done for Mike White, the way that he put this together. The stories are engaging, but there's there's that almost like a who done it kind of feeling throughout the whole thing because at the beginning you you know that shit's going to go down they've kind of set it up that way but you don't know how mm -hmm. so you almost know what happened but you don't know how they got there and so i think that's kind of the general you know propulsion of the well, thing you think you know you think what you happened, know. But yeah yeah very cool yeah i mean that like and and they this is a weird thing like the episodes didn't feel too heavy to me yeah, like they, there it's was like humor they, they in there. countered it with with like enough humor to make it not feel depressing. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like uh, well, even if it was just like the absurdity of the situation that yeah. was funny. Yeah, I was thinking of Jennifer Coolidge uh, crying because she couldn't <laughs> scatter her mom's ashes. <laughs> yeah. She's the most obnoxious whale. Yeah. It was so amazing. Yeah, <laughs> it's a very interesting show. Yeah. I do think that Armand is that actor is he was incredible. Jesus, he he was incredible. Yeah, he's Australian. Yeah, yeah. 
And I was going to look. I also thought the, the through line of tension between, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to mention real quick. The composer was a gentleman named Cristobal Tapia de Vier, who is a Chilean born film and television composer. Mm. Oh, he did the soundtrack for Channel 4's National Treasure, which earned him a BAFTA mm. in 2017. He's kind of a boss. He's done really awesome stuff. Somebody mentioned another show that I will I will get back to later, but I'm sorry, continue. Oh, I was just going to say that they touch a little bit on the... There's the the friend of the daughter of the family that's vacationing. She, like, brought a friend with her. And she starts kind of seeing one of the boys, like, one of the guys that works at the hotel. Oh, and I'm and, sorry, there's spoilers. Like, are we... Well, I'm I'm not I'm not gonna spoil too much. I'm not gonna men- I'm not gonna go into the details of of the situation. But um, I thought it was interesting that they brought up for that character that that guy that works for the hotel that his family, you know, like this island was like their ancestral land, and yeah, the hotel sort of encroached on pretty much like bought the land out from under them and he was sort of looked down on by his family for for working for going there. to work there and he said you know well there's nowhere else to work mm-hmm. <laughs> there's no how am i supposed to make money yeah and, they- and so that that idea that like there's this underlying tension that's so much bigger than all of these people's trivial problems and also mm-hmm. just the that that this girl who's this entitled rich girl that just doesn't get it it's she thinks she gets it it's the idea of of this kind of it's idealism that doesn't have practical application yeah that is so removed and it's so theoretical that you can't really put it to use anywhere yeah um i think it's an important discussion to have right mm-hmm. now because in this day and age, we get in our heads a lot, and we deal in theory a lot. And it's time to kind of consider how we can make things more practical. How can things have more application in the real world? And that's the biggest one of them all, especially yeah. in activism, quote unquote. I mean, yeah. that's what has to happen. And without giving a lot away, the, <laughs> the context of what you're talking about is essentially like this girl thinking she understands the problems that this guy is having and that she thinks she has a way to simultaneously get him what he needs and also get back at these white people. And with just absolutely zero regard for any real life repercussions that could come back on them. And the way they handle that in the end is so, it's so perfect because it's exactly what would have happened. Mm-hmm. You know, and the idea of activism with no context. No end with product no, either. Yeah, with just no idea how the real world works. Because you don't live in the real world, mm. you know, and you've never had to. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, That's it's a, powerful. It is. Yeah. And, I, it actually, and it's challenging, it, too, because it's not, it's not something that we're willing to accept, yeah. a majority of us. But it made me think of that um, Tim Dillon railing against that 
reality show for yeah, activists. Yeah, I mean that's that's <laughs> an, another ridiculous. long-winded conversation, but that that's the truth, man. Like people in in positions of power in elite circles don't really understand the the difficulties of implementing a lot of these ideas, but that's that's kind of how it works. The the world that is seen above the clouds is a lot different than what's down here, and so practical application is not what's on the upper levels. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very good show. Yeah, it was. And if you can handle <laughs> the tension, yeah, it's worth it. The payoff is worth it. It's a phenomenal score. Yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah, I usually, you know, you <laughs> skip through the intro, and I never skip the intro. Yeah, yeah like, you just it's have just to so good. To good stuff. Mm-hmm. Highly recommended. Let's do another tank. It's a night of uplift. A night of tanks. Last and not least, let's move on to the last documentary of the night. Um, Tell also, us a little bit about it. Also found on Prime. It's called Generation Wealth. Um, it was made by Lauren Greenfield. Laura or Lauren? Lauren. Lauren Greenfield. Um, she's a documentarian, an American uh, film uh, photographer. Artist. Artist. Writer. She's done some do- quite a few documentaries. Yeah. Um, so this documentary, Generation Wealth, pretty brand new. It came out this year, didn't it? No, I think or it's was a 2018. It okay. Well, tell us who it follows and how it goes uh, about its thing. It's essentially just about this woman. She chronicles wealth in America through photography. Um, and she's been doing that for like 20 years or something. And um, the culmination of the documentary is this a museum exhibit she's been working on. Um, compiling from all her photos and she follows it's kind of follows like a few key um characters or subjects of her photos and she follows up with them years later um and you know essentially just like chronicling like excess and greed and the impact that it has on on people and particularly on young people living in Los Angeles. Um, and, you know, the pressure to be thinner, richer, you know, mm-hmm. to have the best of everything and like how damaging that is and how um, it's just a product of the, of what we've created, you know, yeah, in our this, society. Yeah, especially in our modern American culture of consumption and more, more, more. It it is destroying people left and right. And this is the kind of documentary, very traditional in the sense that it really lures you, it grabs you by the obscene wealth, the the thrill ride of watching these people live these extreme lives, and then it knocks you over the head with the consequence at the end. And I was so bummed out at the end. I really just wanted it to stop. Mm-hmm. It kept going for a couple more minutes, but I was just so depressed. Yeah, it really... It took, it took a lot. Yeah. 
Um, because you have these, again, the disparity of, of opportunity, mm. but with the same messaging across all classes of, of wealth and no wealth. So everyone is looking at this. Everyone is looking at fucking the Kardashians going to town and all of these rich people just living on a fucking cloud. And the desperation of those below, the really the inability to get to those points pushes these people who have no real sense of limitation or not limitation, but I almost want to say self-control or as an act of desperation, they choose to go all in and then they pay it so bad. Like there was a case that really broke my heart of that, that woman who she had a lot of self-esteem issues. She was a single mother and she decided to go get plastic surgery in Brazil. Still a very expensive procedure. She got a lot of work done, but when she got back, she was like buried in debt because of it. Mm -hmm. And at that point you're like, to what end? What is, how is this making anything better um, in your situation? But it, it comes down to that same idea. And I'm sorry if I keep reiterating it. It's that you see something that's right in front of you that is going to make your life just a little bit better, potentially, not even a full guarantee that it's going to make your life better. And I bet you that, that people are in lower economic situations will go for that a hundred percent of the time, denying what might be in front of them as something that's, you know, might not be the, the salvation. Um, but that really did break my heart. Like, I don't want to give too much away, but that's one of the many that just kind of yeah. spiraled out of control. Yeah. Um, I thought the, the German guy was really interesting. Oh yeah. That dude is, he was like great. a hedge, a former hedge fund manager that was like exiled to Germany or something. <laughs> he was like on the FBI's <laughs> most wanted list yeah. for white, white collar crime. Um, yeah. his, uh, I don't know, like that last that scene where he, you know, he's like, I was sitting on a yacht with my wife having dinner, and he, you know, he's like, I could have bought anything, mm. any boat, any plane. I literally could have bought anything in that moment. And, you know, he said we were sitting amongst all these multi-million dollar yachts and he asked his wife like which one of these do you want me to buy you know <laughs> do you want that one or that one and that one and she just said i just want you to turn off your phone i just want to have dinner with you with your phone off jesus and he just like he just started like weeping because his whole like everything he had worked toward it just didn't matter yeah, I don't know. His story was interesting. Yeah, there were quite a few of those. Um, it, I, I thought it was kind of cool that she kind of stayed in touch with some of her high school like peers. And they had an expectation of what wealth was supposed to look like and what they were going to do when they were older. And then she kind of went back and she talked with them, you know, hung out with a couple of them. And especially for them growing up in the kind of high school they did in California where there is an expectation of, of not just wealth, but fame. It's, uh, mm -hmm. it's so messy, yeah. so messy for kids. 
Um, I don't know. What are your takeaways on that? You know, especially like that pursuit of fame, that desperate chase to just be known to, to be in the limelight. Mm. Cause I think that was the, the kind of like the difference between the other documentaries and this one. This one was more, it focused on, on being perfect and being known. And I think there was a, that other component in this mm-hmm. documentary. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's really depressing. And I think um, (laughs) I thought the scene where her son, her younger son was like, he wrote, she asked him, right? No, he wrote that essay about legacy Mm. and like how much pressure he felt to be perfect. Not, not, you know, self-imposed maybe, but like his brother had gotten a perfect ACT score and Mm. both his parents went to Harvard and his grandparents went to Harvard. And, you know, it's just like, even for people who are privileged, they are clearly privileged, feel this incredible pressure to live up to something, something, you know, and um even for someone like her who is incredible obviously she's been working on this her whole life like she's very aware of what of what those those things can do to children and yet she's still not immune they're still not immune to it you know there's yeah there's still like that um that pressure even if it's a different, it's a little bit different kind of pressure, but it's, you know, something that the yeah. kids are still feeling. And that was very nicely done too, because, you know, in the beginning, it it, it is very much about the subjects that she's following, uh, quite a variety of them. Um, interesting scope of the number of people that were being followed in the documentary, but ultimately it becomes about her lens, like why she's seeing things this way. and the impact that her work has had on our family, which mm-hmm. I thought was kind of a very sad point too, where this woman sacrificed a lot for something that, you know, may or may not matter. Something mm-hmm. that, you know, I guess on, on a smaller scale, like I, as an artist ask myself every day, like, why can't I just hang out with my family instead of chasing, you know, like, two or three hours of writing at, you know, one o'clock in the morning. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I think she, she got something good out of it. And I think her kids realize that she's, you know, that's the only way she can operate. Um, but there's still a price that was paid, mm-hmm. you know, and she missed out on a lot of things. Like she left the baby, yeah. her firstborn, she, at 10 weeks yeah. to go to China, right. you know, that was intense. Yeah. Yeah. And I think her relationship with her mother oh, yeah. was also um like when she has that sort of realization that her kids think she's a workaholic. <laughs> and she has that same conversation with her mom. Uh-huh. You know, who was like like they they got divorced and her mom just left. <laughs> like her mom went to some other city, you know, yeah. and she could only see her so often. Yeah, you know, and she felt like abandoned by her mom, and mm-hmm. um, you know, I think kind of realizing that to some extent, 
she did not exactly the same thing to her kids. It wasn't that bad with her kids, but that she is perceived in a similar way by her own children Mm -hmm. to, you know, really be dedicated to her work to a maybe an unhealthy level in some ways um, that seemed to be kind of devastating to her. (laughs) That's yeah. And that's a curious thing how that kind of repeats, you know, unless you have a clear sense of like, you know, I refuse to be like my parents, right? I have to divorce myself from this part of me Mm -hmm. that I got from my parents. But um, I think in her case, things ended pretty well, though. Mm -hmm. You know, her family still loves her. Yeah, yeah. In the end of the day, (laughs) I mean, they're still her family and, you know, her kids still love her. And she still has a relationship with her mom, even though it's not perfect. And yeah. You know. And hey, you got to give props to her husband, who seemed to be a boss too. Yeah, he's he really just like, did. you need to go to China. You yeah, know, and your baby's China. ten we'll weeks okay. old. Yeah, go do you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's a husband. Yeah. I mean, if you wanted to go up to China for a little while, I'd say, well, think about it. But <laughs> you know, I can't stop you. Yeah. You're, you're going to do what you want to do, and we'll support you. Um, but that's pretty admirable. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool to see. Uh, overall, though, the documentary just sheds a lot of light on what our values are as a society right now. What do we really care about? Spoiler alert, it ain't good. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, what a downer episode. <laughs> no, this has been very, um, very cool because we actually have a running theme tonight. Yeah, which that was I'm funny. Kind of psyched about. We didn't even intend that. But yeah, watch Generation Wealth. It's an interesting well well made documentary and definitely worth your time yeah maybe have a drink you know or something while you watch it so you don't get too depressed <laughs> yeah <laughs> let's think to that one we'll think ahead a wonderful night three tanks anything else you want to add because i think this was a it was good um, it was a good lineup oh i wanted to shout sam out uh she emailed us all right. At our kids asleep. And uh, you can email us too, our kids asleep at gmail.com. But she emailed me with a gif from Arrested Development that uh, she reminded me that it was hop ons, not tag alongs or whatever I said in the episode <laughs> about the old ladies on the trolley. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She was like, the word you were looking for was hop ons. Thanks to uh, Michael. Thank you, Sam. Michael Bluth. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. And, Help us out. Um, Tell your friends. Yeah. We give good reviews. We'll and try to actually release some on time. In the yeah, next we're going to be rocking and rolling here on out. This is our, uh, our mid-year resolution. We're going to get to it. Mm-hmm. But we're going to leave you be. Thank you so much for stopping by and listening to us, and we hope to talk to you real soon. Good night, guys. Bye.